0: Great to see a Purpose Church. Today we are continuing a five-part series leading up to our 150th anniversary on October 16th, 2022, uh, just a month from now. Uh, Now, we are sending out invitations to over 20,000 people, but word of mouth is still the best form of communication. Uh, Dale Torrey and his family, uh, Dale and Adrian and their family, their kids, uh, a few months ago they moved from here uh, to Knoxville, Tennessee, and Dale was back visiting last Sunday, and he told me that he went to a men's retreat at his new church there in Tennessee, And do you know that uh, in that men's retreat, three of the men he talked to, three different men at his new church in Tennessee, had all been married in our church uh, here in California. So uh, across the country, all over the place, there are people that have been ministered to or been a part of in the past, uh, our church, Purpose Church. And so word of mouth is still the best way uh, to tell people about our October 16th celebration. Uh, you might even consider reunions uh, for your Sunday school class or ministries to the past. I already know, I've heard about that the choir and orchestra are having a reunion um, luncheon and, and practice for uh, the events on the 16th on the day before, uh, Saturday, uh, prior to the celebration on Sunday. And then I just recently heard that the college ministry under Pastor Garrett uh, Gilliland, uh, Garrett and Sophie Gilliland, uh, that college ministry, they're having a reunion Friday night before uh, the 16th, the night of the 14th. And so let's have reunions, let's invite people, let's get the word out there and do everything we can to just have a great, great day. Let's do our best to get the word out. Um, And our fall series is based on our church's five core values. And it is called We Are Purpose. Uh, Last Sunday we started with value number one, we are better together and we study the Greek word for Christian fellowship, which is koinonia. And just a little uh, side note, a little PS to last Sunday's message. uh, Karthik Namani is a young uh, eighth grader uh, from Texas, and he was the winner of the 2018 Scripps National Spelling Bee. And guess what the word was that he won with? It was koinonia, uh, the word for Christian fellowship that we studied uh, last uh, Sunday. The title of today's message is, A Church for the One, and it's based on value number two, found people, find people. Would you repeat that with me, wherever you are there, in your living room, by your computer, uh, listening later on in your car, uh, found people, uh, find people. Let's see how our high schoolers did uh, with this particular Purpose Church value. Hi, Purpose Church. We are challenging student ministries to see if they know the Purpose Church core values. This week's is found people. Found people are... Found people. Found people. Found people find. Home. Found people. No, (laughs) I can't. I don't know this stuff. Found people. Find people. Find people. Find people. Find people. Found people. Find people? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's just awesome. That is so great. So found people, uh, find people. First of all, we want to be a church for the lost sheep a church for the lost sheep. Uh, Luke 15, verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it. And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. This uh, passage has been the key to our churches not just surviving but thriving uh, for the past 150 years. You know, the natural tendency over time is to be so consumed with the needs of the 99 that we forget about the one. And there's always this tension between nurturing, taking care of, ministering to the 99 uh, that we forget sometimes about the one. Uh, there's a, te- a, a tension between nurturing and outreach to, the, outreach to the one lost sheep, and nurturing to the 99. Without constant leadership and challenge, we will always gravitate towards the nurture of the 99 at the expense of the outreach uh, to the one. Uh, that is why many of the things that I'm sharing today are going to sound familiar, because we need to come back to these principles again and again if we as a church are going to stay on the right track. The last thing Jesus said before he went back to heaven uh, was the great commission, or you could call it the great assignment, or the great purpose, or the great priority. Matthew 28, verse 18, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Uh, also, just before he left, to after his resurrection, to go uh, back to heaven, he said in Acts 1, verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. And earlier in Matthew chapter 9, uh, Jesus had said, it said when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers uh, into his harvest field. Uh, He made that his main thing he wanted to share with us uh, just before he went back. He gave us our assignment. And you know the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And the main thing is Jesus. And once you find him, uh, you find others and you tell them about him. Uh, in John chapter 1, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing uh, Andrew did, he had, he had found Jesus But now the first thing he did was to find his brother, uh, Simon, and tell him, we have found the Messiah, Uh, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. We want to be be a church of Andrews. And the challenge is to keep outreach a priority over 150 years. Uh, It's been said that the church is the only organization that exists for the benefit of its non-members. I heard about a church this week who had a one-word vision statement. One-word vision statement. Talk about a simple, clear uh, vision statement. And that word was others. Others. And everything they did as a church, they screened it through that, uh, they measured it against that vision statement. Others. How does it impact others? How does it reach others? Uh, but I do like our mission statement, our vision statement most. Everyone everywhere following Jesus. Everyone everywhere following Jesus. The main thing is keep the main thing the main thing. We want to be a church uh, for, for the one. A church uh, for the one. We want to uh, be found people who find uh, people. And then number two, we want to be a church for the lost coin. Uh, Continuing in verse 8 of Luke chapter 15. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way I tell you there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Uh, just this past week, I listened to a podcast called The Death of Evangelism in America, in which researcher Tom Rainer uh, found that evangelism has dropped from a top priority in American churches uh, to near the bottom of things now that churches emphasize. And uh, we, thirdly, want to be a church that goes back. A church that goes back around 850 A.D., King Ben-Hadad and the Arameans. The Arameans back in biblical times was Lebanon and Jordan, um, uh, northern I- Iraq, Syria, that area. And around 850 B.C., King Hadad, who was the king of the Arameans, besieged, uh, surrounded with his army, Samaria, in Israel. And the Israelites began to starve to death. Uh, 2 Kings chapter 7, verse 3. Now there were four men with leprosy at the entrance of the city gate. Uh, They were outcasts. They they were outside of the city because they weren't with leprosy allowed to be around the other people. So they were outside by the city gate. They said to each other, why stay here until we die? And then they go through some very interesting reasoning here. Kind of taking their best shot. Uh, If we say we'll go into the city, well, the famine is there, and we will die. And if we stay here, uh, there's no food where they were either, so we will die. So let's go over to the camp of the Arameans and surrender. Uh, They'll probably kill us, but if they spare us, we live. And if they kill us, then we die, and we're no worse off than we were if we had done the other two options. Option one, go into the city. Starve to death. Option two, stay where we are. Starve to death. Option three, go out to the Arameans. they probably kill us, but there is that chance, at least with that option, uh, there's that uh, possibility uh, that they will spare our lives. Now this is basically a form of what I call Pascal's Wager. A couple of thousand years before Pascal made his famous uh, statement called Pascal's wager. What do I mean by that? French mathematician Blaise Pascal uh, was considered one of the greatest mathematicians in all of human history. He was one of the inventors of the mechanical calculator. And he also was a passionate follower of Jesus. And he came up with this thing called Pascal's wager, which is basically what happens if you are wrong. It basically asks the question, if you believe in God, and you follow Jesus, what happens if you're wrong? If you don't believe in God, if you're an atheist, so you don't follow Jesus, what happens if you are wrong? And he said you basically make a, a bet on that. You make a wager, you make a calculation, just like these four lepers done. So think about it for a moment. What if we're wrong? Okay. What if you and I, in following after Jesus and believing in God, what if we're wrong? What, what happens when we die? Nothing, nothing. Um, All we've missed is a few Sundays wasted listening to Pastor Glenn instead of watching football in your pajamas. That's all you've missed. But seriously, though, following Jesus makes you a better person and better at life. Uh, Research shows that people who follow Jesus um, serve other people more, they give more of their resources away, Uh, they are happier. They have better relationships. And you know, the people that follow Jesus even have a higher percentage of people that donate blood, more than non-Christ followers. So if you're following Jesus, you're probably living a happier life, a better life, uh, better relationships, uh, and actually you are a more sacrificial person that's benefiting uh, the world around you and other people as well. And uh, and if so if you're wrong, however, and it's, and it's not true. You just close your eyes and, and it's over. Um, no harm. It, it's just over. But, Pascal Swager would say, but if someone doesn't follow Christ and they're wrong, if they, if they don't believe in God, if they don't follow Jesus, um, don't believe in God's Word, and they're wrong, they close their eyes in death and open them in hell. And so Pascal's wager would say. Now, certainly, there are other higher motives uh, for the love of God and the love of Jesus, and 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 wanting to live for Him and out of gratitude for what He's done for us. But Pascal's wager would say, just like these four lepers, if you calculate it out, it just makes sense uh, to follow Jesus. And so the people were trying to reach for Jesus. We're sharing something that is not uh, a bad thing. It is not an illogical thing. It is something that totally, totally uh, makes sense. Okay, back to our four lepers. They make their calculations and they determine to go out now uh, to the camp of the Arameans. Verse five, we pick up the story. At dusk, they got up and went to the camp of the Arameans. When they reached the edge of the camp, no one was there. For the Lord had caused the Arameans to hear the sound of chariots and horses and a great army. So they said to one another, Look, the king of Israel has hired the Hittite and Egyptian kings to attack us. So they got up and fled in the dusk and abandoned their tents and their horses and donkeys. They left the camp as it was and ran for their lives. The men who had leprosy reached the edge of the camp, entered one of the tents and ate, and drank. Here they've been a, about to starve to death, about to die of thirst, about to die of hunger. And here they have all that they could eat and drink. Then they took silver, gold, and clothes and went off and hid them. I mean, think, of, think how awful that is. People are back in the city starving to death and they are hiding silver, gold, and clothing. They returned and entered another tent and took some things from it and hid them also. Then they said to each other, what we're doing is not right. This is a day of good news and we're keeping it to ourselves. If we wait until daylight, punishment will overtake us. Let's go at once and report this to the royal palace. They, they went back. They heard good news. Uh, good news is, that's the definition of the gospel. The gospel is good news. They had good news, and they didn't keep it to themselves. They determined to go back. And we want to be a church that goes back. Uh, that when, when we find the gospel, when we find the good news, when we are found, we go out and find others and share the good news, the gospel, uh, with them as well. So they went and called out to the city gatekeepers and told them, We went into the Aramean camp and no one was there, not a sound of anyone, only tethered horses and donkeys and the tents left just as they were. The gatekeepers shouted the good news, the gospel, and it was reported within the palace. The king got up in the night and said to his officers, I will tell you what the Arameans have done to us. They know we are starving, so they have left the camp to hide in the countryside, thinking they will surely come out and then we will take them alive and get into the city. One of his officers answered, have some men take five of the horses that are left in the city. Now they're going to make another calculation, like Pascal's wager, like the, like the, the, the four lepers, another calculated uh, course of action uh, following one particular option. They said their plight, let's take some horses that are left in the city, let's go check it out. Their plight will be like that of all the Israelites here. I mean, you know, if they, if they stay here, they're going to starve to death. And so if they go out there and get killed or starve to death, no worse off than they are here. Yes, they will only be like all these Israelites who are doomed. So let us send them out to find out what happened. So they make that calculation. They're not doing us any good here. We're all going to starve to death here. So how about a few horses to go out and check things out? So they selected two chariots with their horses and the king sent them after the Aramean army. He commanded the drivers, go and find out what has happened. They followed them as far as the Jordan and they found the whole road strewn with the clothing and equipment the Arameans had thrown away in their headlong flight. So the messengers returned and reported to the king. Then the people went out And plundered the camp of the Arameans. They responded to the good news. And they had all that they needed. Uh, We want to be a church that, like those four lepers, a church that goes back. We want to be a church that goes back and tells others the good news once we have heard it ourselves. Found people. Find people. And then number four, a church that comes near without falling in. You say, Glenn, what are you talking about here? Well, it'll make sense in just a moment. A church that comes near without falling in. Um, Jesus said in John 17 that we are to be in the world, but not of the world. I have given them your word. Uh, He's praying now for us. Uh, to God the Father. And the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world. We, We are to remain in the world until we go to heaven, but we're not to be of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Now Jesus told us, to be in the world but not of the world. Now this illustration I'm gonna share right now, I I know I've shared it before, but I I wanna share it again and go deeper in order to explain our church's philosophy, which I believe has sustained us for 150 years. Now, I wanna make it real clear. I'm not saying that our church's philosophy is the only philosophy um, that a church can have or, or that it's the best philosophy that a church can have. Um, Not every church is supposed to survive uh, for 150 years. Uh, Some churches are, are meant to only exist for a season. Some ministries are only meant to exist for a season. Some life groups are only meant to exist for a season. You know, one of the hardest things that Christians uh, do within the church or have to do within the church is to let go of something that is outlived its usefulness. That sometimes there's just a period of time and it's not meant to go on uh, forever. You've heard the great leadership advice. If you find your hell, yourself uh, on a dead horse, dismount. And if uh, something that you're involved in is a ministry or, or a group or something, it's no longer accomplishing what it was originally meant to accomplish, well, well then dismount. If the horse that you're on is dead, dismount. And then look for the new thing that God has called you to. And so I'm not saying that every church has to follow this philosophy. I'm I'm not saying that every church needs to do things the way we are. I'm just saying that this philosophy is one of the things that helps to explain our longevity. Now, at the sinking of the Titanic, there were three options for those in the lifeboats, right? The lifeboats. Option number one is to get so close to the drowning people that you got pulled into the water yourself or your boat got swamped. Now, as far as we know, that didn't happen to any of the boats, the lifeboats, after the sinking of the Titanic. Uh, most of the lifeboats chose option number two. Option number two is where they rowed as far away from the drowning people as they could, even though many of them their boats were only half full. Uh, they played it safe. Uh, even though their boats had plenty of room in them, they still got as far away as they could from the drowning people in order to save, they saved themselves, but no one else. And then there was option three. A few of the lifeboats chose option three. They got near enough to the drowning people to save some of them, but they did it without getting pulled into the water themselves or having their boats swamped. Churches are spiritual lifeboats, and they have the exact same three options. Option number one is to get so close to the world that we become indistinguishable from our surrounding culture. Um, We water down our faith in order to fit in with what everybody else believes. And so we jump into the water with those who don't follow Christ. um, Or our lifeboat, our church, becomes useless for reaching people with the gospel because we've compromised God's word. We've compromised what we believe. We've compromised the gospel so much that we have lost the gospel. And that's a constant temptation. Temptation. Uh, People in the water uh, that are lost, that are not following Christ, are always shouting to us, you Christians are so narrow and out of date. Just jump into the water with us. The water's great. It won't drown you. Uh, Come in with us. Be like us. Even sometimes other Christians and other churches may call out to us. If you just compromise some more, you'll actually reach more people for Jesus. Just ignore the more challenging or difficult parts of the Bible. Just compromise uh, the way that you live and what you believe and everything will be easier. And besides, hell is not real, everybody makes it to heaven in the end. And so Jesus warned us about option number one. He said you are uh, to be um, in the world, yes, but um, also, you are not to be of the world. And so option number one is being in the world and of the world. Okay? Option number two, uh, get so far away from the war- world. Row so far away that we reach very few people for Christ. Um, make sure that we're, we're safe and, and our friends are safe and our family's safe and are going to heaven. But don't worry so much about those who are lost and separated from God. And even other Christians and other churches may call out to us, your church is getting too close to the lost. Uh, Come over to our lifeboat and we'll row as far as possible away from the lost people so that we can be as safe as possible on our way to heaven. And besides, it's not up to us to reach the lost. God will reach them himself he doesn't need our help, and that explains why evangelism has dropped as a priority across America today. So Jesus warned us about option number two. He warned us about being not of the world, okay, uh, which we are supposed to, but along with that and trying not to be in the world. So he, the first option is where we're um, in the world and we're also of the world. Uh, the second uh, danger is to be not of the world, but also try not to be in the world. Get as far away from lost people as possible. And then there's option number three. A church that comes near without falling in. A church that comes near without falling in. We get as close as we can to hurting, broken, broken, lost people, but we are uncompromising in following Christ and in obedience to his word. We are, as Jesus commanded, in the world, near the world, in the world, near to lost and uh, drowning people, but not of the world. Uh, This is what Purpose Church has been for 150 years, and by the grace of God, this is what we will continue to be until Christ returns. And then finally, number five, a church that makes sacrifices to reach the next generation. Now, when I say sacrifices, I don't mean just financial sacrifices or si- sacrifices of effort or energy, even though that is a part of it. I mainly, the main sacrifice I'm talking about is openness to change. Uh, Openness to change. That is the hardest sacrifice of all. God's word is the same. Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. This remains the same. But strategically how we share the gospel from generation to generation, that can change. God's word never changes. Jesus never changes. But how we go about strategically sharing him, we make adjustments from generation to generation. Now it is very hard to reach multiple generations and that's why uh, so many churches don't do it. And not every church is supposed to do it. Uh, Some are called to be one generation churches and that is God's assignment to them. But this has been, to be a multiple generation church is God's assignment to our church, to us. We are now making adjustments and sacrifices to reach the seventh generation since our church began in 1870. And each one of those adjustments, transitions, has been hard, but that's what God has called our church to do. Psalm 71 says, since my youth, God, you have taught me, and to this day I declare your marvelous deeds Even when I am old and gray, do not forsake me, my God, till I declare your power to the next, next generation, your mighty acts to all who are to come, who are yet to come. Last week, our Greek word was koinonia, which means Christian fellowship. And this week, our Greek word is oikos, which means household. In a Greek household there were people in the household, and not all of them were family members. Some, some of them were people that worked there and that were a part of that group of people uh, that, that lived together. Uh, some were co-workers, some were f- uh, family members. But our, our household, uh, the Greek word is oikos. And it's one of our favorite Greek words here at Purpose Church. It means the um, the 10 to 15 in your sphere of influence. Let's say about 12 people that are the people that you most associate with, either at work or in your neighborhood or in your family or in your school or uh, who, are you, who you recreate with. Who, who are the 12 that you most closely do life with on a, a regular basis? Who are your 12? And I encourage you to write down those 12 that you most associate with as you go through life. And I would hope that a number of those on your list of 12 would not currently be followers of Jesus. Some might be, but others might not be. And that's your mission field. That's your oikos. Your assignment from God is to go to heaven and to take your 12 with you. How do you reach those on your list of 12 that are not currently followers of Jesus? You follow the bless strategy. B, be in prayer daily for each person on your list. L, listen, look for and learn about their needs. E, eat, (laughs) invite them for a meal, meet for coffee, etc. S, serve, look for practical ways to serve their needs. And then S, share your story of how you came to follow Jesus and, and your faith with them. And maybe just if you get a chance to share Jesus with them, just the simple three words that we use here at at our church, or that I use at least uh, uh, regularly, Uh, sorry, thanks, and please. God, I'm sorry for the sin in my life. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for me and rising from the grave. Uh, Sorry, thanks, and then please uh, be my Lord and Savior. You can lead somebody to Christ yourself just by sharing Having them pray with you those three words, sorry, thanks, and please. Or you can invite them to church where I or one of the other pastors will share Jesus with them.